Welcome to Clear Creek Sunday Cast. Merry Christmas to everybody. I know it's been said already, but you can't say it too many times, right? Re- really glad to have you here. My name's David. I'm the, the lead pastor, the teaching pastor. I'm the face of the franchise, which doesn't say a lot for the franchise. But anyway, really glad that you're here. And especially if you're, if you're visiting with us today, if you're a guest in our service today, it's just a privilege that you've chosen to spend this hour with us here. But I've got to tell you, you being here puts pressure on me as a communicator as well. Because the reality is, I don't know you. You don't know me. Why would you listen to me? What do I have to say to you? So step one in communication theory, find common ground with the people who were there. Now, typically that means I'm going to tell a story that shows you I'm human too and say, have you ever felt like that too? But since it's Christmas, I want to find common ground in the Christmas story. And you've heard it today, so you've been given an advanced peek at the quiz. But we're going to take a quiz. I'm going to give you the, the question and you fill in the blank with the answer, okay? So Christmas is the celebration of the birth of a baby named... Jesus. Nobody said Santa Claus. That's good. And that kid really knew who it is. That's, gee, that's beautiful. His mother's name was? Mary. Mary. That's right. His father was? Okay. Okay. D- double credit if you said God. David just told you in the song. It, wasn't, it was God's child. But you still get a point for Joseph because he, he, he filled the role pretty well. Mary learned she was pregnant from an angel named... Gabriel, that's right. After Jesus was born, the angels appeared to a group of shepherds, that's right. And they followed a star to a stable in what town? All right, you guys pass. I think we know this story well. That's really good. Now, that's the next problem for me as a communicator because one of the most important, incredible events in history when God became flesh, came to live among us, experienced the same struggles and trials and frustrations and temptations we live. We know the story so well. In fact, we know it so well that sometimes it gets reduced to a greeting card image in our minds. And we've said for the last three weeks at Clear Creek, familiarity can be the death of wonder. You know it so well, you stop noticing just how wonder-filled, wonderful the story is. But the story of Jesus' birth deserves a closer look. Third challenge is communicator in a limited amount of time, because I know you have things to do and places to be today. So I decided, rather than keep you here all day and making you listen to a guy that you may or may not know, well, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? So if I put a picture on the screen, that saves us about 10 minutes, all right? So rather than me trying to describe the beauty of Christmas, of God with us, of the baby who would grow to become a savior, we're going to look at an image. We want to see the story through the eyes of an artist who was captivated by and who then moved to, to try to capture and convey the wonder of the Christmas story. Now, I took a semester of art appreciation as a freshman in college back in 1985. So really, this is right in my lane to talk about classic works of art, right? And how how they're going to lead us to what we want to know. Well, so I did what any serious art student does, and I went to Google and Googled famous Christmas art. And it turns out a lot of artists have tried to capture the essence of Christmas through the centuries. But I'll be honest, I I hadn't seen any of these pictures before. So I want to show you a few, and maybe you're more cultured than I. The first one is called Mystic Nativity by an artist named Botticelli, who sounds like either like a, a tenor 
or a, a, an addition at Olive Garden. I don't know. Try the Botticelli with chicken. It's really good. This is the mystic nativity, and you can see there's a lot going on, angels and people hugging and high-fiving, and it's a beautiful scene. The next one is called The Adoration of the Shepherds by Guido Reni. This is from 1640. Botticelli's painting was from about 1500. Uh, Guido Reni painted The Adoration of the Shepherds in 1640, and you can see them all leaning close to see the baby. The next one by the artist Raphael, you may have heard of him. Painted in, fifth, not, the, not the Ninja Turtle, the artist. Painted in 1512, it's called the Sistine Madonna. And the one thing I recognize is the two little angels at the bottom of the screen. I didn't know those were from this painting. You see those two all the time. Ah, looking up at Jesus. Then there's another one by Caravaggio from 1609 called Adoration. The other, Guido Reni painted the Adoration of the Shepherds. Caravaggio painted Adoration of the Shepherds in 1609. And that one's kind of dark, a little hard to see, but same thing, they're, they're leaning in. And again, I'd never seen any of those. Any of you familiar with any of those works of art? Any cultured people in the room? Okay, I'm, I'm with my people here. I'm glad, glad to see that. So I thought, well, surely some more famous artists like Michelangelo, I mean, Michelangelo painted religious art all over the place. Surely he painted a Christmas painting somewhere. And it turns out he did. Now, you're familiar with his famous painting at the Sistine Chapel where God and Adam are reaching toward each other. Well, it turns out that started as a Christmas painting. And so go ahead and show that one where God was giving Adam some Christmas presents. And then he decided that didn't work. So he painted over that and started all over. Well, I thought, well, maybe Leonardo da Vinci, again, famous Christian art, maybe the, most, the greatest artist of all times, and he had a few as well. Maybe you're familiar with his one called The Christmas Morning Lisa. Did you? Okay, probably not. But maybe his more famous religious painting would be The Last Christmas Supper. You, you remember that one as well? No? Okay, maybe not. Well, the painting I want us to actually look at this morning, to see beyond the what of Christmas that we've all heard a thousand times, actually isn't a painting at all. It's a pencil and crayon drawing by Sister Grace Remington from an abbey in Mississippi. And reading about this, the main means of support of, of this abbey in Mississippi is the sale of their Trappistine creamy caramels, which can be found at monasterycandy.com if you're interested. But in a minute, I'm going to put her picture, Sister Grace Remington's picture, on the screen. And then I'm just going to sit for a minute and let you contemplate the picture in silence. Again, a picture paints a thousand words, and rather than me ruin it with mine, I want to give you time to hear what it says. And so let's go ahead and put up this picture that's simply called Mary and Eve. And take a minute and take in everything that's going on there. The wonder of Christmas isn't just found in the what of the story, shepherds and angels and Mary in the stable. It's found in the why. And for me, this picture captures the why better than Botticelli or Caravaggio ever could. But to understand the why, you have to go back to the beginning. 
So maybe you know the story from Genesis 3. Adam and Eve have been placed in the Garden of Eden and given full access to everything God created except for one thing, one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It represented the capability for self-determination, for autonomy. We decide what's right and wrong. Well, if you know the story, Adam and Eve took the fruit. Eve took it, gave it to Adam. They both ate. And God honored their desire to go their own way by sending them away, away from the garden, away from paradise, away from access to the tree of life, away from communion with God. And here's how it's described in Genesis chapter 3. This is after they've eaten. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. A picture of harmony and peace and relationship. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? We meet every day. Where did you go? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Their sin created a rift. Mankind's relationship to God went from communion to disunion, from cooperation to separation, from fellowship to fear. And that shift marks the rest of the narrative through the whole Old Testament. The Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. But the early parts of that story are so difficult because whenever God appeared from this time on, the first response was fear. God appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And they were afraid. He appeared to Moses at the burning bush. He appeared in visions to Isaiah and Ezekiel, to Job. And the response was always the same. Abject terror because God was there. Isaiah said, woe is me for I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I'm going to die. Philip Yancey said, a person blessed with a direct encounter with God expected to come away scorched or glowing, or maybe half crippled like Jacob. That's why in the Christmas story, as it's recorded in Matthew and Luke's Gospels, when angels appeared to Zechariah, to Mary, to Joseph, to the shepherds, every time the first thing they had to say was, don't be afraid. But of course they were afraid. Jesus was born not just into a family, but into a people, into a nation, raised on stories from that Old Testament that said things like, well, they approached the mountain of the Lord when they weren't supposed to, and that was the last mistake they ever made. They mishandled the ark of the Lord, and boom, dead. They entered the holy place of the temple in an inappropriate way, and they had to be dragged out by their ankles because God is holy, and we aren't, and when he comes near, we have every reason to be afraid. There's a chasm that we can't cross. The function of the Old Testament law all the way through was to highlight that chasm. It was a covenant God made with his people that essentially said, look, if you do all of these things right, then you can make yourself right with God. But of course, none of them could do all things right all the time. None of us can. That's the curse of our human nature. And that's what you see in the face of Eve. I mean, look at her. She can't look up. 
She's the face of humankind. I've done wrong. I've made things worse. I've broken covenant. I deserve to be punished. But, but hear me. If your view of God is he's an angry being who just can't wait to punish people, then you've missed the wonder of Christmas. Maybe the best known scripture in the whole Bible, John three sixteen, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But hear the next verse. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, not to condemn, but to save. Matter of fact, let's say that together. Not to condemn, but to save. Not to, but to save. So God sent an angel to a virgin named Mary and to her, to her betrothed husband, Joseph, and said, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. In Hebrew, Yeshua, a word that means salvation, because he will save his people from their sins. Look, the old covenant, it wasn't working. Well, it was. It had done its job of illustrating the impossibility of pleasing God by our efforts. So God said, now it's time for a new way, for a new covenant, one that wouldn't emphasize the vast gulf between God and humanity, but would span it instead. And so look at Mary. And I love how crayon and pencil captures in her look compassion, understanding, forgiveness. That's the wonder of grace. She's inviting Eve. She's inviting us. Look up, child. Be restored. Be renewed. You can start over. But of course, Mary isn't the source of our hope. It's what God was doing in Mary. And look at her hands. One, touching Eve with that compassion and grace. The other, inviting Eve Inviting us, feel the life of God growing within me. Feel the manifestation of a restorative hope. And there in that place, surrounded by the fruit of the garden, emblematic of everything Eve had left behind because of her sin. Even as she continued to cling to the fruit of her own rebellion and regret, and pride and pain, a fruit whose taste we all know all too well. Mary gives an invitation, come and feel, come and experience, come close to the fruit in my womb. Experience hope and grace and freedom from that brokenness that feels like it will never end. It's a new day. We can know the chasm has been crossed. What was once far off has been brought near. God has come as close as is humanly possible to the heart of Mary because he longs to be close to the hearts of all people for all time, including today. So look at the whole picture. The wonder of Christmas isn't found only in the birth of a baby 2,000 years ago. It's found in the new beginning that's made possible for each one of us today. Every day is an opportunity for new life, for new hope. Every day is an opportunity 
Every day is an invitation. Start over. Come close to the God who's come close to you. Not based on our efforts to be good enough, but based on an understanding and a belief that Jesus is enough. My prayer, our prayer at Clear Creek for all of you this Christmas is that in seeing the wonder of a God who comes near, that he would be near to you, that you would invite him to write a new story in your life, a story of peace, joy, enduring hope, everlasting love. I want to close with a poem by Richard Beck called Incarnation. And as you leave the service today, we, we have little cards laminated with this image on one side and this poem on the other. But just because I'm done, don't mentally check out and move on to what's next just yet because the most important part of the service is yet to come. So let's stay in this place and let this truth, let this image, let these words sink into our hearts and take root in our lives and let God birth something new in you starting today. Here's what Richard Beck wrote. I arrived to find myself already loved. A forgiveness preceding, exceeding my first crime and my last. A prior mercy, a predestined grace. Anticipating my shame, a welcome offered, a healing before the pain. I had imagined it to be my task to close the distance between us, to cross the chasm, scale the height, my fault dictating my duty, though futile and impossible. But I looked up, hearing the angels sing, to find you already here.